are listening to Radio Influence. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are so happy to have you here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. Interesting guest this week. I met him at Talk and Shop of Mania and don't, still didn't really know a lot about him, but an interesting, interesting story. In some ways, very similar to last week's guest, Jay Lethal, who I hope you enjoyed, and in, in a lot of ways, um, different. So... Uh, should be interesting to hear from Rocky Romero, 25 years in the business almost, and uh, been all over the world. And um, not, not obviously not uh, any of the uh, major promotions, WWE or w- WCW back in the day, but, um, but an international superstar who's held uh, as many titles, I think, as Ultimo Dragon, once you look it up. So um, All Out is in the books, but uh, we are taping this before that happens. So uh, I hope that they had a great show and um, planning on watching it with my son. So uh, looking forward to that as we tape this and um, fun, fun to hear, to hear even a few fans back in the um, back in the building, you know, a couple of hundred, 500, whatever they've been putting in there uh, to hear uh, the fans and to see the fans singing along to Jericho's. Um, I don't know if you saw on Twitter where you can follow me, by the way, at David Penzer. But uh, I got goosebumps watching that, you know, with the fans in the upper deck singing along to his entrance music and made me feel like maybe somehow we're going to finally start getting back to normal. So, um, as you know, Eric Young is the new Impact World Champion and um, hoping to have him on this program next week. Ninety five percent sure we're going to make it happen. So looking forward to talking to the new Impact World Champion, Eric Young. And um uh, we're going to see what happens as we get closer to Bound for Glory in October on pay-per-view. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, and this is an, a, more of an experiment than a, than a sale because uh, I don't expect to really sell any. But if you've been a fan of this podcast and if you've looked at the logo and you kind of like the logo with the microphone in the middle of the ring and the light shining down on and thought oh, that might be cool to have on a T-shirt. Uh, there are T-shirts available now, City Ringside uh, logo T-shirts uh, at Pro Wrestling Tees. Yes, you go to ProWrestlingTees.com backslash David Penzer, all one word, and that is available. So uh, if you are interested, uh, I'd love to, to see if we sell any or if we do, how many we sell. But um, uh, just, uh, just thought I'd pop that up there and see what happens. So more of an experiment than anything else. But if you're interested, be sure to check it out. Pro Wrestling Tees backslash David Penzer for your City Ringside t-shirt. And at some point, I'll have to buy some for myself because my wife wants one. And so uh, we'll do some contests or something where we'll give one to somebody who sends in a question or something. So uh, you could buy one now or you could maybe have a chance to win one down the road. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of cheap, so it may be a while before I pony up the money to buy one uh, for the wife. So, um so I uh, want to thank Jay Lethal again for last week. Had a blast. I've watched the Woo Off now probably 16 times since the, we taped the interview and um, and did my homework on the other stuff. And uh, I want to bring in this week's guest. He is a international superstar, um, multi-time Ring of Honor tag team champion, multi-multi-time IWGP junior tag team champion, former NWA world junior champion, IWPG junior champion as Black Tiger. We're going to talk about that. A match he doesn't even remember, really. And a three-time CMLL Super Light Heavyweight Champion, a man with lots of gold, Rocky Romero, co-host of Talk and Shop with Gallows and Anderson. Welcome to City Ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week on City Ringside, listen to this. He is a former IWGP Junior Champion, a former NWA World Junior Champion, uh, former three-time CMLL Super Lightweight Champion, former three-time Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, and a record-breaking former eight-time IWGP Junior Tag Team Champions. He's a regular Ultimo Warrior. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week, Rocky Romero. Welcome to City Ringside. Yo, what's going on, fans? How you doing? Uh, that that That's not a bad little resume there. <laughs> I've done some shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was telling you off, I was telling you before we started this, you know, a lot of times when I'm interviewing somebody for the podcast, you know, I kind of have an overview of their story. I, other than you ending, you know, ending up on Talking Shop uh, uh, podcast um, and then the, the pay-per-view, which we'll get to. Right. Right. Um, right, right. Oh, oh, I forgot to say uh, one third of the Talking Shop podcast team. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is probably that's probably what I'm most known for nowadays. Yeah. So, uh, but other than that, I really didn't know anything. You know, I I, I don't really follow international wrestling that much, and mm-hmm. um, and so I while I enjoy watching it, just there's not enough hours in the day sometimes. So, um, right, our so, circles haven't really crossed either. Yeah, know, yeah, no, path, so I don't so, think yeah. I, but I, no. if I'm correct, uh, when at uh, um, Gallo's house is the first time we met. I I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, that's I would say so. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to hearing your story. And, you know, I've done a little bit of research and, uh, and, and it seems pretty cool. A lot of a lot of international stuff and a lot of different styles. So uh, it should be interesting to talk about just to kick things off. Um, look, looks like you broke in around 1997. Um, how, how, how what are the circumstances of that? Were you a fan growing up? And if so, you know, how did you end up, um, you know, sort of Lucha Libre slash uh, uh, IWGP? guy uh yeah no i was a, a major fan ever since i was a child you know as, as far back as i can remember uh my parents used to work on the weekends you know um and uh my grandma used to watch me she's an old puerto rican lady you know and she would every religiously every saturday we watch superstars she'd make jello and ice cream <laughs> and uh, sugar-free ice cream she was a diabetic and uh, she used to make it we'd sit in front of the uh in front of the tv watch superstars she would get like super amped up about the characters and and, uh you know the bad guys she would be literally throwing her chanclas like her shoes at the tv and like i guess just that excitement of it just got me like hooked you know and uh you know because you know i've been watching cartoons and you know my parents watch movies and nobody was throwing you know chanclas at the tv (laughs) you know so i think that there was something kind of like magical about that and and just the energy around it that um that I was attracted to since the very beginning and the dynamic of the of the characters you know and the and these and these wrestling matches uh just were fascinating to me and um so much that you know I kind of went away from it for a little bit but then back in you know in the early like mid or I'd say mid 90s like 94 95 I started to really get back into it um and uh as I started to you know start to become uh, a teenager and I'm just hooked, you know, like, you know, I remember like the gold dust to raise a Ramon, you know, feud and, you know, just like, you know, Undertaker, Bret Hart, like this, this kind of era, Diesel and Razor, you know, that and then, you know, going into like 96, 97, obviously when it blew up, um, you know, I, that was like the the forefront of it. And I just kind of looked for my plan was like, oh, when I'm 18, the only wrestling school that I knew of was the one that was featured on beyond the mat. And that's, um, uh, what is it? Uh, up North in San Francisco, Roland Alexander school. Sure. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that was the only one that I've ever heard of, you know? So, you know, just because it was in that movie. So I was like, Oh, when I'm 18, I'll move up. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles. So I'm like, I'm going to make the drive and move up to San Francisco and, and start, you know, training over there at APW. That's what it is. All pro wrestling. And, uh, and then, you know, that'll be my journey. And, you know, I started scouring the, the, the internet one day and I stumbled across a page, uh, that had a wrestling school in San Bernardino. And I was like, San Bernardino is way closer than, uh, <laughs> San Francisco. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm only like maybe like 15 at the time. So, um, I, uh, I just picked up the phone. There's a phone, you know, the phone number was on there. I picked up the phone. I called and, uh, a guy named Bill Anderson picked up. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, we, wrestling school. That's what they used to answer the phone. And I was like, um, I was like nervous as hell. And I'm like, uh, yeah, um, I'm 15 years old. I want to be a wrestler. It's like my dream and blah, blah, blah. I gave him this whole spiel. And he was like, uh, how old are you? And he's like, I'm like 15. He's like, uh, and he's, I hear him whispering to somebody. And, and then he comes back on. And he's like, uh, you know, we got another kid who's, a, who's like about 15. You can come in. You can work out with him. He's like, uh, why don't you come by on Saturday with your parents? So I was like, great. So I, you know, I begged my mom and a, a buddy of mine who was like a big wrestling fan as well. You know, so we used to watch the pay-per-views religiously uh, together. Uh, you know, I asked him if he wanted to come along. He said, yeah, he got his parents' permission. So my mom took us, you know, drove the 
the, the 40, 50 miles down to, to San Bernardino and on a Saturday and she, you know, came in and met Jesse Hernandez and Bill Anderson. And, you know, she checked out the whole thing. We signed our life away and, um, you know, he had us up in the ring doing rolls and stuff like that. And there was this kid, he didn't, he actually wasn't there that day. Uh, the other kid was, who became a good friend of mine, um, who was 50, about 15 as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I started hitting the ropes. I mean, it was like, it was like a dream, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it, this, it was like this thing that you had thought about for so many years and like, you know, watch religiously. And then you see like a wrestling ring. I mean, it was like, Oh my God, real wrestling. Like what, what is going, you know, like just my mind was blown, got in that ring and like, I don't know, just felt like home. And, uh, you know, just, I, I, I we turned 16. I got a license and uh, I borrowed mom, mom and dad's car from, you know, and I started going two times a week, you know, sometimes three times a week. And uh, I just started training as hard as I could. And that was kind of my main focus. Everything else kind of went secondary school, everything else. I mean, like I put all my energy and all my love into, you know, professional wrestling and just training and trying to understand, you know, like all these different styles and all these guys like. You know, I was looking up to like Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, and I wanted to be like those guys and and go through that similar journey that they did. You know, so that's you know that's kind of why I focused on uh, you know Japan and Mexico and all these places because that was uh, you know kind of their journey. And then I kind of like looked in like looked up to them. You know, it just so happens that you know in Japan things started to kind of explode. You know. Yeah, yeah, and WCW went away, which was the uh, which was the next step in. Those guys' journey, ECW and then WCW, and that 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 step kind of went away. So, um, yeah, if you're having fun and 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 uh, Japan is exploding, you might as well stick around. Hey, before we go any further, did you ever have to smarten up your grandmother? It's <laughs> a good question, actually. So the funny thing is, like, I thought my grandma was going to be like so happy that I was a wrestler, you know, and she was pissed that I became a wrestler, and she just couldn't. Like she, she kind of had a stroke somewhere in between there. So she wasn't like all like there and she couldn't fully understand it. But like, uh, you, they brought her to the matches one time and, and I thought she was just going to like, love it. She like didn't really love it. And she hated it when I got like actually up there and she couldn't understand why my mom was letting me do, let these men beat my ass basically. <laughs> so, uh, so I couldn't really, I, I didn't really smarten her up now. Yeah, it's, I always find that interesting. You know, uh, my 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 wife's uh, grandfather was the same way. He'd watch. Uh, uh, they lived in um, uh, uh, St. John, New Brunswick. So it was uh, Emile Dupree uh, Grand Prix Wrestling, and he would sit in his chair every Saturday and with his cane and throw stuff at the TV and stuff like that. And I always said, you know, because you know, I got to know him a little bit before he passed. And I always said, should I smarten him up? He goes, don't you dare. Don't you dare. I want to kill everybody, you know, every Saturday for 40 years, you've been sitting throwing stuff. But um, I we, uh, digress. Um, at some point, you ended up in um, the uh, Antonio Noki's IWGP dojo in Southern California. It, it, I don't remember the exact timeline, but it, it seems to me you would have been one of the first to uh, to, to start there. Were you, had he just opened that or had that been around for a while? Maybe I'm wrong. No, no, no. They had, they had, uh, I was in there before they even had anything in there, like equipment, ring, mats, you know, like they had just, I think, slapped the paint on like maybe the week that I was, that I started uh, kind of going in. So like, yeah, I was like from, uh, you know, through Samoa Joe, uh, who, who's a good friend of mine. And, and we all had wrestled together in this company called, uh, UPW in Southern California. Sure. And they, and they had a, you know, Rick Bassman's company, they had a connection with WWE and, uh, you know, I met a lot of different people. So obviously John Cena came from there and, um, I was hanging out with Joe and he was like, Oh, there's this guy. His name is, he's a wrestler. His name is his, his wrestling name was just insane. But his, his real name was uh, Justin McCulley. And he's, uh, you know, a brown belt. And I think he's a black belt now in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, you know, he's a professional wrestler. He also fights, you know, he fight like MMA and all this stuff. So he was uh, one of Inoki's students. And basically, Inoki told him, you know, basically gave him the task of, you know, kind of opening, help to opening this dojo. 
And, um, you know, so we met with Justin one, you know, one dinner, we had a dinner with Justin and, and, and Joe and myself and Ricky Reyes. And uh, Justin was like, yeah, I'm, we're about to open New Japan is about to open this, this dojo in Los Angeles and Santa Monica. Uh, we're looking for guys who want to be on the ground floor and, you know, start training and, and possibly get into the system. And so we're like, that's what we've always wanted to do. You know, that, that was like the dream, you know. So day one, like I said, they had just painted the place. And, you know, like, you know, meaning joining the system was really kind of just like literally building the ring and, you know, setting up the weights and, you know, like, like literally cleaning the floors. Like it was like, you know, karate kid, you know, so it was like, it was, it was a really much training in the, for the first few weeks. It was like actually getting everything ready. And then I, and then I remember Antonio Noki came in for the first time, you know, and, and it was like, well, this is like really happening, you know? And then like a week later, there was a dojo opening and they had some matches and, um, you know, Chris Daniels was there, a guy named Hardcore Kid who was uh, Jesus in WWE at one time. Um, American Dragon by this time, I believe. Uh, maybe Frankie Kazarian was there. I can't remember exactly. Myself, Ricky Reyes. And, uh, you know, we put these, these matches on. You know, they flew all the New Japan stars over. So it's the first time we're meeting like Liger and, you know, um, I think Muda was there at that time or he might have just left right after. I mean, like some really, really big names. And and we're just kind of like we're just thrown in the middle of this, you know, you know, and uh, it, it was just a pretty wild ride. So just being in the dojo itself was um, was really interesting because it was like a place that because of the Inoki, you know, connection and new Japan that, you know, you would walk in and Steve Blackman would just show up one day and you're just like working out with Steve Blackman, you know, then he would leave. And the next day, like boss Rutten would show up and he's like showing us like how to like liver kick people. Then Ken Shamrock would show up, uh, you know, the, the week after. And he's like teaching us how to do like leg locks and like talking wow. professional wrestling. I mean, like the, just everybody and anybody came through there and it was, it was pretty, really cool you know like it was really a, a a great experience for a kid who's like 19 years old 20 years old and uh and just trying to figure out what you know professional wrestling really is and you've just got all this like wealth of talent you know and people who are just coming through here and and it was really really exciting and this was you know the days before a performance center or anything like that but you know we were you we were grinding it out every single day grinding it out from like you know 10 a.m to you know, four or 5 PM, you know, and like working out, we had like two sessions a day, uh, you know, working out, you know, in the middle session, we might eat and, you know, rest a little bit for an hour and then go back to training, you know, we hitting the weights, hitting the mats, like, you know, doing tons of, you know, jujitsu and kickboxing, you know, cause that's what Enoki was really kind of focused on at that time. Sure. He was, he was really focused on like the MMA and the professional wrestling aspect kind of meeting and uh, so, you know, we were doing tons of that. We were getting our ass kicked, kicked. But, um, you know, it, and then there were some really cool lessons, you know, from Inoki uh, as well. You know, like I remember Inoki, you know, was the first person to kind of relate like things in the world to professional wrestling. You know, um, like, uh, for example, he would talk about music and how music is, you know, a really good song is like really great professional wrestling match. You know, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an ending. There's these crescendos that are important uh, that, you know, bring, uh, you know, that resonate with the people. And, you know, so it's just like really cool, like straight up Mr. Miyagi type teachings, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and you're li he's literally a genius when it comes to professional wrestling. I mean, he really, really is. I mean, you go back to all those old stuff. And just the ideas he had and how he, you know, put professional wrestling on the map in, in Japan and, you know, especially his certain way, strong style, you know, and you had strong style versus King's Road, you know, which is the Baba's company. And, the you know, it's just really interesting the way that his mind, uh, you know, thought about professional wrestling. And it, it was cool to have that experience and train with him, like legitimately train with him, you know, each and every day in that Santa Monica dojo. Um, and it just... This is just a, a, a crazy experience, 19 years old, 20 years old, you know? That's one heck of a learning tree, I'd say. Um, how similar to uh, uh, the dojos in Japan was that dojo? Did you live there or uh, no? No, I didn't live there because, you know, I, I did live um, about 
35 miles from there. So I just drove, I drove there every single fucking day. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was quite the experience for no money. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think I, I drove there for almost a year for no money just for the opportunity, you know, wow. every single day, five days a week, like it was a job, like an intern, you know? And, um, and then I finally got an opportunity to go over to Japan, um, for our first tour. But, um, no, there was some guys that came in like, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, Carl Anderson, you know, you know, Finn Balor, who's Ferkel Devitt, right. who's known as Finn Balor. Now those are guys that, that came and they actually stayed and like lived at the dojo, but the, even living there, I mean, really it was just this big, you know, it was a big like warehouse and, uh, above they had built offices and above the offices that they kind of had made this loft for guys to kind of like stay in. So really, it wasn't really like the greatest of conditions, you know, um, and not, not compared to like the Japan dojo where like, there's an actual dorm connected, you know, there's a kitchen, there's a full on kitchen, there's, you know, like, you know, washer dryers, you know, that's like an actual living space. Um, so it wasn't exactly as traditional to the Japanese dojo. It was kind of a hybrid of it. And, but I mean, it, it was really like, it was like Rocky the movie, you know, like, you, you know, boxer, you know, living in the gym, you know, waking, you know, waking up, eating oatmeal and then, you know, working out all day, you know, because that's all they want, you know, for little to no money. And, uh, you know, that's just how kind of everybody was doing it at that time. Um, you know, at that time we didn't really have the support from new Japan pro wrestling so much. It was really, this was like Inoki's thing. Inoki spent a ton of money to, you know, to fund this thing. And I don't think, you know, at that time, new Japan, and Inoki didn't have the greatest of relationships, you know, even though he was the founder and, uh, you know, the chairman or whatever, but he, he was more of a passion project for him. And I think he spent, you know, he was spending New Japan's money. And I think there was kind of an issue with that. So there wasn't really like a, a ton of support, you know, so, uh, you know, like it was hard to find funding for like guys to get paid and stuff like that in the beginning until we started going over to Japan at least. So at some point, they say to you, um, hey, Rocky Romero, um, you're going to go over to Japan, uh, to IWGP, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and you're going to uh, be the new Black Tiger. And for those who don't know, the three Black Tigers before you were uh, Mark Rollerball Rocco, who basically is one of the guys, along with uh, the original Tiger Mask, to uh, set up this whole junior's uh, high-flying style. And then the second one was Eddie Guerrero. The third one was Silver King. And then they say, hey, kids, you're going to go over and be Black Tiger. Uh, talk, talk to me about that. That's just a bit of pressure. So much pressure. Mind-blowing. So much pressure. Like, I got the phone call, and if, if I didn't know the person, I would have thought that they were, like, just fucking with you know yeah, what I'm saying <laughs> just like they're like, oh yeah, New Japan called. They want you. They want to know if you want to become the next Black Tiger. I was like, what? And like, huh? <laughs> I was like, do you know that? Like, like I literally the list went through my head. I was like, do you know who the people who were Black Tiger before me were? Like, are you want me to do it? You know. So, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's what you would you dream about? You know, getting a phone call like that, like a life changing. Sure. phone call uh you know and and um i just like i remember i think i had like three months to prep for it like get the costume together do this do all that and um i just was like the whole time i was doing it it just felt like this is not gonna happen you know i mean how many times you know in entertainment or professional wrestling like somebody tells you like oh yeah you're gonna we're, we're giving you this and then so many times it just doesn't happen or you know whatever the whole thing falls apart or whatever so like i kind of was just like getting ready but i was like i'm not gonna put my heart into this all the way because i know it's gonna fall apart and the next thing you know i'm on a, a plane to japan i'm like still feeling like no this thing is definitely not gonna happen you know they're handing me this brand new beautiful costume you know with this amazing mask with all this leather and like all the beautiful intricacies like based off of mark rocco's uh original mask and i'm like this for sure is not gonna happen you know, the night before it's the Tokyo Dome and I'm supposed to wrestle Tiger Mask for for the for the title. And I'm still thinking like, well, something's going to happen. You know, definitely a typhoon or something's going to happen. And this whole thing's going to get canceled. <laughs> and then I, I show up to the show day. You're like, we're, we're in there. Like I'm walking over to the dome, taking the there's this tunnel that goes from the Tokyo Dome Hotel. It goes underground to the um, to the Tokyo Dome. Right. So um, it's like the baseball players tunnel. And uh, I'm walking through. and I'm like, well, this 
motherfucker's about to cave in any second. Because, you know, like, I was just so focused that, like, for sure this was not going to happen. And then that, like, we had the match. I think it was a good match. To be honest, I couldn't tell you anything from it. I have almost, like, no memory. Like, just a complete blackout of the whole situation, you know? And, uh, and, and, and then all of a sudden it was over. And they told me it happened. And I was like... <laughs> All right, if if you say so, <laughs> you know, like, like, um, so I I think that with nerves, you know, and the whole thing, like, just the pressure of, of the character of the, you know, the the positioning of like, hey, you know, you're a guy who's gone from the first matches to now you're wrestling Tiger Mask for the championship, you know, and and like Tiger Mask was like, and and you know, later find out to find out later was like, oh. When it came down to the, I was always curious, like when it came down to the decision of like who suggested me to become ti- uh, Black Tiger, and it was actually Tiger Mask Four. So you know, was that wrestled. Koji Kanemoto? No, that was after. That's the current one. The guy who's oh, still current. The current one, yeah. So, um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, just like whoa, that's you know wild, you know, to find out later. But um, yeah, man, I don't know. It it was crazy. It was just crazy. It, it completely changed my life in every, every sense of the word, you know? Now, when I make this comparison, I, it's not an equal comparison, but um, is Black Tiger sort of like uh, suicide? And when, you know, suicide is nowhere near the level of Black Tiger, mm-hmm. not even close. But when I say it, I mean, everybody that's uh, been under the mass of suicide, watch the tapes and they there's certain um, moves that they do. Um, is, is Black Tiger like that where you have to study what... Um, Mark Rocco and Eddie and those guys have done, or is it basically just a, uh, a costume and then you go out and do you? Well, I think kind of everybody's taking their own spin on it. Uh, my, my like, uh, character and the storyline that was coming into it with their actually. So Tiger Mask 4 is an actual student of the original Tiger Mask. Right. So that. basic, so basically they went with the same kind of, storyline so the storyline was that i was going to be a uh disciple of mark rocco so that's so it was going to be the fourth and the fourth one were were both uh like Ah. you know disciples so that was what they had told you know you know that was what they told the fans and and the storyline behind it so um so basically i completely changed the way i wrestled so that i could mimic what mark rocco was doing and then later started to add in some things that were like unique to me, you know? So like, I, I like studied for months. And so when I told you about that three month preparation, it was really like studying Mark Rocco tapes, look, trying to look for the little characteristics, like how he would move his mask around. Like, you know, like every, like almost every time he would do like some kind of opening sequence, he, he, you know, some people like put their fists up. Some people do that. He would always like try to fix his mask. So I don't know if the mask wasn't like fitting properly or whatever, if he just didn't know he did it, but that's what he did. So I'd mimic that. And then um, the way he would drop an elbow, it was like, it wasn't like a flat jumping elbow drop. It was like almost like a, and this was what he was kind of known for. He was almost like a pinball. Like he would like bounce off of you and then stand right back up, you know? So like things like that, he would do the same thing when he would do it off the top rope. So he would never stick the landing. It was like, he would just keep bouncing and moving. So I tried to mimic that. And then I realized like, oh, I had to really up my cardio because that was the thing that Rollerball Rocco was known for was like his incredible cardio, you know, like he just wouldn't stop moving. So that's what I did. You know, like I'm just con- consistently like moving, 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 putting on a hold, but then changing it, snap, mirror, boom, boom, drop an elbow, pick him up, blah, blah, throw him up, like just moving constantly. So that's, that's, I just did that exactly to the T. Uh, and, and, and what, what a great compliment was after like maybe the first or second match you know, when we started the series with Tiger Mask was uh, a lot of the older fans who had remembered and studied the original matches between Tiger Mask and, and Black Tiger, they would say, holy cow, you're exactly like Mark Rucker, or you'd move exactly like Mark Mark Rucker. He reminds me of him so much. So, I mean, that's a, like, I figured like, you know, I feel like I, I, I did a good job uh, with what was, you know, the situation. Um, so, and then later on, I started to add in you know, little Rocky Romero type things like certain, you know, kicks and and a little more rope work and things like that, uh, you know, using a little more lucha here and there. And then you kind of saw the development. Then the, the mask started to change to reflect that. 
And then I kind of made my own Black Tiger towards the end of it, you know. Did you ever get to meet Mark Rocco? No. Oh, I know. I know. Recently just passed. I, I yeah, really I wish I would have uh, I would have been able to to talk to him and just, you know, get a, a you know, I'm sure, you know, talking to, a, you know, such a legend like that, you, there's those nuggets of information or stories that you might get. And I wish I would have got the opportunity, you know. That was, yeah, that would have been nice and on the cake, but it's a pretty good, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely story nonetheless, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine uh, having that responsibility and, to, and I didn't even realize you debuted in at the Tokyo Dome in front of what, 50,000 people or. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, this time business was kind of down. So I would say maybe like 15 or 20,000, but no. still way more than, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not in front of you know 500 people I, I, we, as we said earlier you have uh kind of um done lucha libre in mexico new japan uh pro wrestling mainstay u.s style ring of honor independence do you have to talking about uh changing your styles like you did for black tiger do you have to change your style when you do that or or is rocky romero have you gotten to the point where that your style is a hybrid where that could, that could pretty much play anywhere. Um, no, you know, I, I, so like I said earlier, um, you know, the guys that I really looked up to, especially once I, I started really wanting to be a, a professional wrestler, were the guys like Eddie and Jericho and Malenko, you know, so like those were guys who you could just drop them basically anywhere in the world. And they would just adapt to the style because they knew kind of how to do everything. Right. So I would, so like for some reason that just was like something that resonated with me. And I was like, Oh, these guys are so good that no matter who they wrestle, they're going to a have a good match and B they, they look like they know what they're doing, you know? So I, I just figured like, okay, I'm not a big guy, like similar to them. So like if I become like super well-rounded and I kind of mix all these styles together, kind of like they did, I bet you like, you know, I'll be worth more than just, you know, uh, just a guy, you know, or another small guy or whatever. So like, that was like my, that was like my goal was to be really good at everything, you know, like, like all the little things in the ring. So, um, so I studied, you know, Mexican wrestling, you know, thank God, you know, co coming up in LA, Jesse Hernandez, you know, he really w gave a great introduction to that because, you know, there's a lot of Lucha Libre in, in Los Angeles, you know, so it's a mix of American wrestling and, and, you know, Lucha so, um, you know, so like when I went to Mexico, I was able to easily adapt because I already had some of the basics down, you know, for Lucha. And then I just dove in when we got there, you know, just dove in more and tried to learn as much as I can and all these different techniques. And then, you know, the same thing in Japan, that's where I just wanted to go. So I studied how the Japanese, you know, how their style was and how they they uh, they put on submissions and different things like obviously it was it was a lot slower than uh, than like the, the Lucha style. So, um, so that was kind of always the thing. And then even coming up, like I trained for a long time for about two years with a guy named Kevin Quinn, who, uh, out of Chicago, who was Chris Daniels, uh, former tag team partner back, back in the day. I knew, and, I knew that name. Yeah. Yeah. And he, um, and he always said the best thing you can do too, is like always be able to adapt and change your style, no matter what town you're in or what area you're in or whatever. So like, we always kind of focused on that. That was just kind of something that always stuck in my head, like depending on the situation, right? Like the way that I wrestle in ring of honor is a little different than the way I'm going to wrestle in new Japan because the styles are different, right? Or the way that I wrestle in Mexico is going to be different than I wrestle, you know, on impact, you know what I'm saying? Or if it's TV or with this or that. So like, uh, I, I was kind of, I don't know, I've always been aware of that and I've, I've kind of always changed my styles depending on that, but I would keep the root of it the same, you know? And, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've always wanted to just be like the hybrid, well-rounded, can do anything guy, you know, like, you like know, Eddie was, or like Dean was, you know, it's funny how you mentioned those guys, Eddie and Dean and Jericho, and you didn't mention Benoit, but I'm assuming probably, uh, he was in the same boat. Right. I, I actually spent a year driving, you know, traveling with those guys, really? all, four, all four of them and me. Oh man. <laughs> you take the things stories, for granted. I'm sure. No, I, 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 I you know, not that I don't appreciate it looking back, but, uh, but yeah, and then Chavo would tag along Chavo jr. But yeah, oh, Chavo, um, hell yeah. but, uh, but yeah, you take that for granted, but, uh, that was an experience for sure. Um, 
you, we've mentioned in the open that you were three-time Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion, eight-time IWGP Junior Tag Team Champion. I hate to put you on the spot. Do you have a favorite partner? Because you've had a lot of them. <laughs> um, I think you know. I mean, I love you know. I love all the part, all my partners in some kind of way because they've all been different, and and the circumstances have always been different. But I feel like for success, for success wise, I'm like just fun. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, for fun, I would say maybe like probably Rapungi Vice with Trent Beretta, who's an AEW now, Beretta and, um, or Trent and, um, yeah, I don't know. Just cause I feel like during that time, really wrestling started to really take off. New Japan started to take off. Um, you know, the independent scene in itself started to really take off. People started to take notice and I think it was just fun. You know, we had a lot of you know, we had a, a basically, you know, two year long feud with the Young Bucks and just like these, you know, really amazing fun matches and just really good memories, um, you know, while the business was was getting good. You know, so I feel like uh, that's probably my, my favorite. But I mean, um, uh, Kozlov, for sure. I mean, like forever hooligans, Mexico, Japan, one of my really, really good friends. So, I mean, that was a lot of fun, too. He was just a pain in the ass in the fact that, like. It was hard to work with him sometimes, <laughs> but that's just how it is. You know, does he wrestle anymore? Cause he showed, I didn't even realize it was him when he showed up at uh gallows at first. Um, talking cause I haven't, I have, yeah, cause yeah. I haven't heard about, about him in the business. Is he retired? Uh, yeah, he retired and now he's, you know, he's doing some, um, some commentary for new Japan on uh, we have a weekly show called new Japan strong. That's on njpwworld.com every Friday night. And uh, he's doing the commentary with Kevin Kelly for that. Oh, cool. But yeah, um, he's retired from in-ring, so. Yeah, other than just coming into a b- battle royal and smoking a cigarette. Exactly. Um, <laughs> hey, um, we're going to get to talking shop real soon. A, cu- a couple of questions. You mentioned uh, teaming with Trent Beretta. You mentioned feuding with uh, the Young Bucks. Um, and, and that time when things started to explode, and obviously uh, Kenny Omega was a big part of that. Jericho coming in was a big part of that. Um they all are at a, a different promotion, uh, and you're not. Did you have the opportunity to go there? Did you ever think about going there, or were you just um, sticking with New Japan? That's who brought me to the dance, and um, you know, good luck to those guys. Um, I'm probably a lifer to New, with New Japan. I, I feel like um, you know I've been here for you know since 2011 nonstop, you know, consistently, you know, so, and then, you know, before that, obviously for many years on and off, um, uh, you know, I, it wasn't, I was under contract, so the opportunity really didn't present itself, you know, to, to go anywhere else. And, um, I don't think I would have either way, you know, cause I, you know, I'm pretty happy where I am and, um, you know, and like new Japan is like a family to me and, you know, just kind of different situation, you know, I, I think for Trent, you know, he had spent some time there and I know it was a difficult decision for him, but you know, as well during this time, but, um, I, I, you know, he didn't really have, like, he had some roots, but he didn't have like the roots, the roots that, that go so deep, like me there, you know? So, sure. um, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I mean, yes, that, that opportunity really didn't present itself because I was under contract, like I said, and, and it's just different circumstances and situations. So, um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I think I'll probably be a lifer with, with New Japan. It's it's so funny because um, last week we had Jay Lethal on and his story. I don't know if you know, Jay. Uh, I'm sure you do because if you work for Ring of Honor. But uh, I don't know if you guys have ever sat down and talked. But his story and your story are extremely similar. Uh, the age that you got in the business, some of the guys that you broke in with, like Samoa Joe. Um, and, you know, he also said that, you know, he w- would be more than happy to be a Ring of Honor lifer. Uh, it's very interesting that, uh, to have you back to back to hear similar stories, totally different styles, but right. very similar stories. Um, so let's talk, talk and shop. Um, I am assuming that that was a podcast that you guys did a while back and didn't just start doing again recently. Um, would that be a correct assumption? Yeah. So we started it in 2015. We're all working for new Japan. Uh, the boys who are in Japan working there, this obviously pre WWE. And, um, you know, we, me and Carl Anderson are, are like legit best friends. Uh, you know, we came, like I said, we came up, we met in the LA dojo and, right. you know, we're 
got really, really tight. He lived with me and my, and my family for a bit, you know, like a, like a year or two, year and a half or so. And, um, you know, we just became, we just became really tight. So, you know, obviously working in Japan one day, you know, this is like pre podcast, like blow up where everybody has, everybody's doing podcasts, you know, and like, even like, you know, I never even had really listened to a podcast ever. You know what I'm saying? But during this time, so like I knew one what was, but I didn't really listen to one. You know, the only one that really knew was like Colt Cabana's, you know, because there wasn't much wrestling podcast at this time. So um, he says to me, why, you know, why don't we do a podcast? We'll just tell stories from, you know, where, you know, from what happens in our real life, you know, in Japan, we're on the road, all the crazy stuff that happens, you know, funny things that happen. And uh, we'll just put it out there. So, you know, we, we talked to um, Court Bauer from MLW radio and, he uh, was interested in hosting us. And so we just, we decided, okay, cool. Let's record one. We're going to have, you know, Doc Gallows be our first guest. So we bring Gallows on and Gallows is just takes over the show. And, you know, he's just, <laughs> his, you know, care, crazy, you know, charismatic self. And, uh, and then we realized like during the podcast, oh, I was like, oh, okay well, this guy's the gimmick. We need this guy. So we're like, okay, perfect. So we got the host, which is going to be Carl. We got the, uh, the gimmick, which is going to be gallows. And then I'll be the straight man, uh, you know, and we'll make it work. And, and it really worked. And we, we really got a, a, a nice following, you know, and we did it for about a year, year and a half, I would say. And then, you know, by, by the, I would say by the last six months of it, we were so tired of it just putting it out every week. And it was just like, it felt like a drag and it wasn't as, it, it was like fun to do it when we were doing it, but to get it all together get, and I was editing it and it was like, it was just such a pain in the butt. You know, we didn't really have an editor or producer or anything, you know? So, um, but we just said, you know, forget it. We're not, well, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> we were over it. And then, you know, obviously the guys moved on to WWE and everything. Uh, but we always kind of ha- always joked and talked because we always knew that one day we were going to bring it back. We just sure. didn't know when or where. And, um, and the, the, the guys were coming through LA on a loop and with, with raw. And they were like, why don't we record an episode for the hell of it? And we'll just put it out on YouTube or just like put it out somewhere and, and we'll just see what happens because, and this was after they had already done like, you know, uh, they did, did basically talk and shop on Chris Jericho's podcast and those got like great numbers. So we're like, ah, what the hell? We'll just do it. So we did it. And then, you know, not knowing that, you know, four or five weeks later, they were going to get released. And it just kind of like all snowballed because we started the podcast four weeks before they got released. That just created even more interest. And we kind of played that up. You know, we played we played it up that, you know, we were going to release all the juice and the tea the whole time, you know, and, and we just kind of like played it all, played it all, played it all. And then to now we're, you know, 23 weeks later and, you know, we have a hit podcast and it's like, it's crazy. No, I wasn't expecting that. And then I think, you know, everything, you know, that started happening in the world, COVID and everything. So it just kind of gave this opportunity and this, the, you know, to do all these different things. And then, you know, Gals gets the idea to do fucking talk and shopping mania. And where we, we basically, he didn't really give us a choice. He was just like, woke up one day and was like, I'm going to do this pay-per-view for my backyard. You guys are either in or out. <laughs> so that's a what? shoot. I was going to ask you that. that no, that's, that's a, a shoot. Yeah, no, we were, we, we didn't know, we didn't know what the hell he was talking about. And he just kind of forced it on us. And then as he started to explain it, we still weren't sold on it, but we knew we were going to have to do it, you know, as, as partners, you know? So, um, so, you know, obviously we supported him and then we, and then it kind of grew on us, the idea, you know, myself and, and Anderson, and then, you know, then we just started really spitballing it and, and throwing ideas around and how we wanted to just be based around the podcast and, uh, all the wackiness that goes along with that. And, and it just turned into what it was, you know, for sure the worst pay-per-view of all time. So um, uh, before we get to the pay-per-view, I wanted to ask you, when did the David Penzer impression start? And when, and then, it, and then as a follow-up, when did you guys realize it wasn't me? It was Capetta. <laughs> you know, I didn't know it was Capetta until I think I, until you told me. Oh, <laughs> I oh. <laughs> I just, I was, I think I was just convinced that that was Penzer at that point. You know what I'm saying? Because it started, I mean, it started with the Fink first, right? And then, and then he does a great Fink though. He does a great Fink. And then he just said, 
Oh, 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 well, I got I'm going to switch it up and I'm going to start, you know, because he, he basically created this, this, uh, this feud between the Fink and Penzer basically. No so, yeah. So like the Fink would come in and then we would, we would start telling Fink, fuck off Fink, you know, whatever. And then, and then all of a sudden it would be like Penzer would show up and save the day. <laughs> so, I had no clue. Yeah, I mean, this was like back and back in the day. This is a 2015 version of it, you know. So that's uh, crazy. I but, the, <laughs> but I didn't know. I just thought, you know, after 52 weeks or whatever, I just thought that that was for sure was Penzer in my mind. That was Penzer. You know, that was the yeah. voice that he was doing. And then that's why I, I laughed so hard when you told me like it's not even. He's doing uh, Capetta. And I was like, what? Well, <laughs> and that made it even funnier. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so how it happened is I was at WrestleCon and I think that was two years ago. I think I just saw something on Twitter and, um, I was waiting for an Uber to get to my hotel from the convention. And, um, and some, one of the fans came up and started talking to me and said, have you ever heard Gallows do David Penzer? And I'm like, Gallo, uh, Doc Gallows. He's like, yeah, you ever, cause I think I knew him from a little bit from, uh, aces and eights and the legends of wrestling shows that knobs used to do where he brought him in. And, uh, I said, I have no clue what you're talking about. So he said, hold on. And he pulled it up on his phone, but I didn't, I didn't even realize the context of what it was that you guys had a podcast or whatever. Later on, I was talking to Jericho about a year later and he brought it up and Jericho just gets such a kick out of it. Um, funny, so yeah. when you guys brought the podcast back, I, I listened to a couple episodes and then when, uh, they started, uh, negotiated with impact and I started talking to Demore about, about it a little bit more and about talking shop and mania. Demore's like, you know, I think that's Capetta he's doing. And I saw him listening <laughs> again. And I'm like, I think you're right. But kayfabe, it's, 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 uh, I said, don't smarten him up. He goes, well, I already did. I said, well, what did he say? He said, oh, he's going to keep saying it's you. I said, good. <laughs> anyway. Awesome. So, so awesome. talking shop and mania, um, you know, without giving away too much of the, the details, I know when, when you guys were not sold, I don't think, 100% that this was going to be the hit that it turned out being. When did you start to feel that this was going to be what it became, which was, I believe, a huge, successful, uh, worst pay-per-view of all time? Uh, to be honest, I mean, really, as it was happening, really, uh, you know, while we were watching it and we saw that the, you know, people were sort of tweeting about it. And as we, you know, we started trending first, we just got on the trending board and it was like, we were at like nine or something, you know, like, and then, and then throughout the pay-per-view, it just started to grow nine, you know, eight, seven, six, five, four, get to three for a second, go back to four. And the only thing that we're competing with is like UFC and NBA. And that was the, well, the week that the NBA came back and it was just like, what is going on? And like, we're, we're texting each other, like, what is going on right now? how are people in like enjoying this? And we're just watching the feed on, on, on Twitter, everybody just hashtag talking shop mania, you know, and then all the, all the support from all the boys, you know, Randy Orton's tweeting about it, you know, uh, you know, all our, all our friends from all across the board, all these, you know, in Japan, you know, Finn Balor's tweeting about it. You know, it's like all, all our friends in this culmination that, you know, because of the pandemic, everybody's home. Right. Sure. So it's like, Everybody and everybody's tweeting about it and talking about it. Everybody's watching this terrible, you know, 90 minute show. And, and all of a sudden it's like, we knew at that moment, it was like, Oh my God, we actually did something. We, we, you know, fully funded by, our, by ourselves, you know, self-funded, no real, you know, besides, uh, you know, impact of, of course, helping us in the last couple of weeks, but really, you know, up to that, you know, not, not so much uh, help from like, a, like, on the back end of a major, you know, company doing this pay-per-view, you know, um, you know, but thank God for impact in helping us in, in promotions later. Um, and just like, you know, so we, we were expecting to, you know, maybe a hundred, we always say like, Oh yeah. 150 people will probably buy it, you know, and we're, at least we tried, you know, yeah. But obviously, you know, it was much more than that. And it was just like, I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I remember the tapings, uh, a couple of weeks before when, uh, uh, Good Brothers debuted at um, uh, Slammiversary and and I, I, I was talking to Carl and Carl was like, hey, we have 100, 100 pre-bought. That's pretty good, don't you think? And I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. to myself, you guys don't get it. 
this is the, you're this is the perfect scenario where you got uh, this perfect storm of WWE letting guys go, Impact Wrestling teasing bringing back a bunch of guys, a pandemic where nobody has anything interesting to watch, and and a, and a sense of humor that you guys have that's really something you know you took you took um uh like I told those guys you took uh uh what well, what was this the thing they did in WWE um. South Park Wrestling thing? South, sorry. South Park yeah. Championship Wrestling. And as I yeah. said, when I interviewed Gallows to promote it, it, so it was sort of South Park on acid. Uh, it was just a perfect storm. So, which begs the question, when uh, are we going to have Talking Chopper Mania 2? That is a good question. I mean, Gallows is pretty much ready to go, but I, I'm, I'm on the, I'll do it, you know? And then, but Anderson is on the hell no side still, so. So we know we can't do it with, you know, if not all three of us are, are willing and down, like uh, Anderson wants to wait a bit. So um, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see where um, <laughs> it's it's being negotiated and debated every single day. We have a group text that goes on and uh, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. talked about and brought up every single day. And uh, Anderson has been shutting it down every single day. <laughs> so we'll see. You should have a Patreon level for like an incredible amount of money where pe- where the person who people who sign up for that level of Patreon could be on your um your your group text. Right? <laughs> that that has to do that has to be do a talking shop cameo. Yeah, it's cameo group text. That would actually be funny as hell. Well, I had a blast and you guys gave me the opportunity to do stuff that I never would have would and never probably again, unless you do another one, will be able to do and drop some F bombs and and, oh uh, man, you were fun. you were so much fun. You were so good on that. Like, <laughs> just some of the stuff that we riffed and stuff was so good. I mean, uh, yeah, I didn't know I didn't know what was going to make it into the final product. So right. I was I was excited that some when of that you when you showed up, you had no clue what was really going on, right? No, I still had. No, I mean, I really <laughs> did. You know, if you remember correctly, I'm driving up and I was texting you, going, "Do you have a format?" And you're like, well, I'm working on it. I'm like, I just, I, I have no, and you guys were just like, show up, have a drink, which I didn't until I was done. Cause I never right. drank when I worked, but yeah. I did afterwards for sure. And, um, show up, have a drink and we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll just do it. And so I kind of went with it and then I hadn't shaved for like a week and a half before, like in two days before I was coming, I was going to shave. And then, so I texted Gallows and I'm like, just, I have no idea what you're doing, but it sounds like it's off the wall. I, I, I haven't shaved and I've never been on TV without with a beard. You want, me to, you want me to keep it? He's like, yeah, don't shave. Don't shave. I'm still going. I still have no idea what this is, but it all, it awesome. all came. It all kind of came together when Teddy Long came out and started dropping F-bombs, which was one of the yeah. first things we did. And right. um, that sort of, that sort of uh, set the stage. I did not know. And I've said this before. I had no clue, probably for a good reason that you guys, that they were going to do the thing where they um, uh, looked back and met up with the young bucks and, uh, and did that deal in the hotel room. So that was, you know, even for somebody like me who kind of had an idea what was going on, that was uh, popped huge for that. That was fantastic. Oh but, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that was, we were holding on to that one. And then uh, what, what was cool was uh, the bucks put out the, the BTE uh, like a week before, I think. So it was kind of the perfect, like it just, I don't know, like, like you said, it was just the kind of the perfect storm and that helped to, to get even more interest, you know, cause nobody was expecting those guys to be on BTE. So, and then we know that we had, we had filmed that little segment and, and we're going to have that, you know, exactly where it was in the Bona Yard match. So yeah, I, I had, I had no clue cause I don't watch BTE. So I had no clue. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I just I popped big time and I, I was watching with my wife, who's not a huge wrestling fan. And my son, who just became a big AEW fan in the last year, who's uh, 23. And they were I mean, they were hysterical laughing. A lot of the spots with the uh, with um, uh, uh, the Ric Flair guy and. Um, uh, oh, yeah. The nature and, boy. Paul yeah. We're, we're, you know, yeah. <laughs> where, where Paul went running and Paulie went running or. Uh, one of the guys went running to the lake almost, and then they're in the pool, and then they're, they're they they just were they had tears coming down their eyes. So good on you. Hey, um, so we talked about this this pandemic and this craziness that's gone on. It's uh, affected everybody, obviously, but you know some promotions, you know, Impact and and AEW, uh, and even New Japan in Japan could could go on with small crowds or no crowds, um, uh. 
how has it affected you and the other international talent to basically have six, seven, and you don't know how many more months off uh, when you guys were on such a roll and, you know, going on a regular basis and you get into a certain rhythm uh, when you're doing that, obviously um, how, how much of a culture shock a lot, aside from the pandemic was the fact that you guys couldn't go over and do your, uh, the shows anymore. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, we've been, we've been dealing with it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, none of the talent who, who live out, side of japan have been able to travel because the borders are completely closed so right. i mean that, that it sucks you know you know uh so we kind of had to figure out a, a different situation and obviously we had like big plans this year we had an msg planned uh for august 22nd that didn't obviously happen so um we basically had to change directions and we, that was actually the the spark of a we started this four-week series on new japan world which is the streaming service that uh, you can sign up for to watch all New Japan matches live. They have a hell of a library with all kinds of old stuff. With like just, we talked about Tiger Mask, Black Tiger, Eddie. I mean, Inoki. It goes back. You know, there's all the legends. And um, so we started this concept called Lions Break Collision, which is more focused around our up and coming wrestlers and so all the rookies, new talent, new young talent that we've kind of found and gone through the dojo who maybe um, haven't got the opportunity to actually join the dojo as a young lion, but maybe, you know, somebody that we've interested in and maybe bring into Japan later or developing to bring them into Japan later or, or have on the U S shows uh, once we're back up and running. So we did that for four weeks and that kind of sparked this new idea of bringing this kind of weekly I would say like it's a weekly studio New Japan show, you know, so it's called New Japan Strong. It's every Friday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. So it comes on right after SmackDown and uh, on uh, New Japan World. And, uh, you know, so we just uh, last week we just had or two weeks ago, we just had, um, you know, Jay White join, who's, you know, one of our big top stars. And uh, we've got a really big one this week. It's Flip Gordon against Jay White, uh, the debut of Fred Rosser, which I'm really excited about because he's a hell of a talent. And um, so, yeah, so like now we have this kind of studio show and show that, you know, could possibly be, you know, a U.S. or American version of a weekly TV show for New Japan, you know, which is just kind of different. And, uh, you know, like, like, you know, what happens in the, you know, when this pandemic comes, you got to be able to adapt, right, and, and come up with some new ideas and maybe something that we wouldn't normally do or traditionally do giving it a try. And, you know, so far, you know, like it's a, it almost feels like it's a critically acclaimed show because it's such a basic way of, you know, professional wrestling and, you know, without, without all the glitz and the glamour, you know? Yeah. And, I, and, and for it's those kind of cool. Yeah. For those who may not know and who might be interested, Fred Rosser is formerly known as Darren Young. Uh, right. So, correct. And, and I believe you have TJP as well, correct? Yep. TJP has been Big on the show. Big fan of him and impact. Every time I, Every time I, I see he's going to be in a match uh, on Impact, and I'm you know I'm sitting out there you know basically there's nobody else except for me and the bell ringer and the producer and the camera people. I always know that you know not that it all doesn't entertain me, but I always know that it's just something about his style that uh, that you know you could watch all day long. Big fan. Yeah, so no, um, he, he's amazing. I mean, he was a guy who started in the dojo with me. You know, back in the uh, the original uh, LA dojo with the Noki and all that. He was there right along with me every single fucking day. <laughs> wow. So, so, um, new Japan pro wrestling last we saw, this is almost like, a, a it, this country, this world has almost become like a, you know, uh, you know, when a television series goes on hiatus, you know, and they leave a bunch of, um, they leave a bunch of, uh, you know, things to, to people can't wait. Last week we tuned in, you guys had a working relationship with Ring of Honor. Uh, do you know if that working relationship with Ring of Honor is still there? Uh, is it possible that you might be able to do something with Impact? Uh, not to put you on the spot, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, of course, we're still working with uh, with Ring of Honor for sure. Um, uh, recently, I just did the uh, you know Ring of Honor is coming back pretty soon, and I just did the uh, ROH Pure t uh, Pure Title Tournament. Oh, you did uh, that. Yeah, being a part of that, me and David Finley were both a part of that. So um, uh, you're representing New Japan, and um, you know, I as working with Impact, I I think never say never. I think you know they have a history before. You know, they they've worked together in the past many many moons ago, and uh, you know, obviously 
with the changes that impact has made and management changes and, and, and all that they've gone through and, and all the work that they've put in the last two years, for sure, I would say has just been really amazing signing such great talent, you know, signing the good brothers, signing, uh, you know, uh, Brian Myers and some of these guys from WWE who, who, who really are shining on the impact, uh, show now. Um, I would say, you know, never say never. I think, you know, it's very possible, you know, and, I, you know, hopefully the good brothers will be the, the key to that, you know, as obviously, you know, they want to work in new Japan and maybe that'll be the key to opening up something, but you know, who, who's to say, I, I don't think it's, um, an impossible thing, but you know, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens, you know? So, um, you mentioned Dave Finley. Uh, interesting that you did. I've known Dave Finley since he was five years old. Um, uh, we grew up in, in, uh, very close to the Finleys in Peachtree city, Georgia. Um, I, I was at, uh, Dave took care of us and got us some tickets to the new Japan, uh, USA show in St. Pete. Were you on that show? Yeah, I was. I was. I was in the main event. Yeah, with, uh, I think I was with Finley, maybe, in the main event. Maybe. I think you were, I too. Yeah. No, I think you were, Tanahashi, too. Tanahashi, Tanahashi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a four-way, four-on-four, four, four, four 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 or five-on-five. Yeah, five. exactly, exactly, yeah. That was, a, that was a blast. And TJP, I think, was on that, too, Cole yep. Cabana. That was yep. a blast. You guys, um, I guess with this new program that you have, you, that's something that's still, you know, once life gets back to normal, still in the cards, is doing more touring? Uh, yeah, definitely doing more touring. And now that we have that weekly show, I mean, I, I mean, I hope that that would be a part of it, you know? So, um, I, I hope, yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely. I mean, touring is our, is our number one, uh, you know, bread and butter. That's our bread and butter, basically, you know, doing live shows and touring shows. Cause uh, you know, I really do think that we're, we're, we, we have such a good product live. It's such a great product live that, that, uh, you know, that's a, a super important part and essential part to our business, you know? So once we're able to come back and do that, um, I think everything will kind of fall into place. So I, I had Dave Finley on the podcast about a year ago and I asked him a similar version of this question. So I'll ask you who, uh, would beat you, if, uh, who, who would beat you worse in a drinking contest, Dave Finley, fit Finley or Mel, the mom, Mel. <laughs> and Dave said the same thing without even without even uh, uh, breaking a sweat. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've I've been in a lot of bars with her, and um, the thing about Mel is, you know, uh, she'll drink a mimosa, then she'll drink a Bloody Mary, then she'll drink a beer, then she'll yeah. drink a Merlot, and it's like all kinds of crazy mixed stuff. And it's like stick to something, and God bless you. Anyway, and she's still standing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And she drink everybody under the table, and um, and she'll get a kick out of that 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 answer because she got a kick out of when Dave said that too. Uh, David, um, looking forward to seeing his career progress, and uh, that's they're a great family. And uh, oh my god, he's so these, good! He's so good! Yeah. He's so so good! I, I I'm re- just that guy. That kid is like he, he to see where he started and where he's at now. I mean, he's always been like just naturally gifted, but like now you can tell he's super focused. He got himself into really good shape over quarantine. And uh, I, I think the sky's the limit for him. Okay. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's great. It's great to see, you know, there's such a wonderful group of people and fun to be with. And so it's great to see good things happen to good people. And uh, he has a younger brother and a younger sister. So you never know. There might be a dynasty ahead. Right. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Hey, Rocky, thanks so much. If there's anything you want to plug, uh, you know, where you you don't need my help, probably where people could find you on social media. But anything you want to plug? A few people listen Uh, to the podcast. Yeah. Azucarock, A-Z-U-C-A-R-R-O-C on Twitter and on Instagram. Listen to Talk and Shop every Sunday morning. We drop uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Talk and Shop Mania is available still on uh, fight tv and what else so i got new japan strong every friday night 7 p.m 10 p.m eastern check it out it's a hell of a show if you're into professional wrestling and the pure i think we've got the best pure professional wrestling show on the planet right now so it's it's an easy watch it's only an hour um you know and and you won't be bored to death <laughs> i might have to check that out uh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and telling your story in City Ringside. Look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you again down the road and have a cocktail or two. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it, my friend. I want to thank Rocky Romero and um, 
want to. Ch- I'm gonna think I'm gonna check out that uh, that 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 New Japan Pro Wrestling show, and uh, it sounds interesting. Any anything with uh, TJP and David Finley uh, has my interest for sure. And I uh, actually, like I said, I went to um, to see David at a uh, at a uh, in St. Pete when uh, New Japan made their debut in this area, Tampa St. Pete area, and put on a great show. Just, you know, just a little comedy, little uh, uh, fly high flying stuff, a little hardcore. Uh, Hardcore. It was uh, it was all around a very entertaining show. So um, I look forward to seeing them again. And and like I said, uh, uh, look forward to finding somebody who could outdrink Mel Finley. So if if you are that person, uh, hit me up at David Penzer, uh, all one word on Twitter. Uh, like I said, ninety five percent sure we're going to have Eric Young next week. If not, it'll be the week. After new Impact World Champion, we'll talk about his journey in this business and um, how uh, he was affected by uh, the WWE cuts and um, how he's been able to retool and uh, get a new start in Impact Wrestling, where it all began for Eric. So until then, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget your city ringside T-shirts, www.prowrestling.tees.com. I think I put too many dots in there somewhere. Backslash David Penzer. You got the uh, idea. Uh, We will see you next week, hopefully with EY, the Impact World Champion. Take care. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.